Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you're listening to episode 15, and we're talking about The Mask, the movie, and the comic book. The movie from 1994, starring Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz, which hugely popularized the series that is actually based off of a comic book published by Dark Horse Comics that ran from 1991 to 1995. We're going to talk about the movie, and we're going to do a bit of a compare and contrast to the comic book and the source material, and we're going to talk about all the fun trivia and behind-the-scenes, critical reception, and all the nerd stuff that we talk about here at the Nerd Review. So let's jump into that now. Now let's start with the movie that was so popular in 1994. The movie was brimming with potential and talent, starting with the director, uh, Chuck Russell. He had just finished uh, you know, filming movies such as A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He had done the remake, uh, the 80s remake of The Blob, uh, two really great uh, horror movies that use practical uh, effects and special effects and blended them in you know such amazing ways uh, both of those movies are considered you know great to this day because of those uh, you know what I'm always talking about that blend of CGI and practical effects so he was a great choice for the adaptation of the mask and you know they really utilized that that same wheelhouse of you know putting on the prosthetics and using CGI to enhance those scenes so a really great blend of those those two mediums you know practical effects and CGI's I'm always I'm always lavishing about uh, you know those are those are some, some of my favorite things to see in movies and a lot of the times you see it in horror movies the most like those are two uh, horror movies that he had previously uh, directed and now The Mask is more of a PG-13 movie, though in Quebec it's actually rated G, which I'll get back to at some point because I, uh, upon rewatching The Mask, I I don't think it was it was a G movie. I, I, I constantly I'm watching this and just thinking like this was for kids. This was rated for kids. Um, only in Quebec, uh, and the movie is PG-13, and in some places uh, just like 14 plus, uh, you have to be over the age of 14 to see it outside of Quebec which uh, is just one of those little interesting things I think about uh, and that always comes up when researching a film Uh, having grown up in Quebec there are some movies that I saw at a very young age and upon revisiting them uh, like The Mask or uh, a great example that comes to mind is Harold and Kumar to go on a little bit of a ratings tangent here Um, both the original Harold and Kumar and the sequel Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay um, is they're both rated PG-13 in Quebec and to to put that in perspective the mask has some questionable scenes for sure uh, and we'll get to that but in for this example in Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay specifically because I saw this in theaters and I was 14 my brother my older brother was 15 and my stepbrother was 13 so just just above the age where we didn't need uh, anybody to come with us and there is full frontal female male nudity um if you've seen if you've seen Harold and Kumar uh, escape from Guantanamo Bay the Guantanamo Bay portion includes um the explanation and on what a cock meat sandwich is uh so well this episode just went NSFW in like 
this this escalated very quickly. Um, this is a random tangent. So uh, it was just, I mean, it's PG. It was PG thirteen here. Uh, it's rated R, like a hard R in the states, because I mean, full frontal nudity, uh, you know, grotesque, not grotesque, but gratuitous language, drug reference, all of these things that earn it, you know, a rated R uh, rating outside of Quebec and you know even outside of uh, you know inside of Canada, not just in the United States. Um, and it's always something that I look back on and think like, wow, we really, uh, we don't evaluate movies in the same strict manner. And I've always found that interesting. And, and it uh, it leads, leads to some funny stories when you think back about it, you know, being 13 or 14, I was, you know, probably saying some things and referencing some things that uh, were a bit above my, uh, above my head, uh, you know, being, uh, being a bit older now and having hindsight. It's a, it's a funny uh, situations like that. So uh, I'll end this tangent. Let's get back to the, the movie. The Mask uh, is rated uh, PG-13 outside of Quebec, rated G in Quebec which is you know like i said hilarious uh so <laughs> it stars uh jim carrey terry uh jim carrey cameron diaz cameron diaz plays tina and like i said it was also a comic book and in the comic book uh, tina doesn't exist actually stanley ipkiss the character that uh, jim carrey plays his girlfriend is kathy uh, who doesn't make an appearance in the movie so they which are things i just find you know interesting why why did they have to create a new uh, name for for cameron diaz they could have simply called her kathy and that would have been more accurate to the source material maybe kathy wasn't a very popular name at the time and uh, tina sounded better uh these are these are the questions that i have written down like uh why like right next to cameron diaz i wrote down why did they change her name from kathy uh, so uh and so we'll talk about the movie plot a bit so the movie uh does it follows loosely the first uh comic books so it does follow Stanley Ipkiss and him finding the mask and uh, in the comic book when you put on the mask you become the persona Big Head uh, so the mask has this its own persona and uh, you know it's at times it's shown like it's talking even when when it's not on somebody's head and the idea in the comic book is that when you wear it you it enhances your personality uh, which they do talk about in the movie uh, that's something that Stanley uh, says he when he, as he's explaining it to uh, Tina, to Cameron Diaz towards the end of the movie, right before the big final act. Um, you know, he says in his words, it enhances, you know, who you are. And Stanley Ipkiss in the movie. Yeah, you know he's a bit different in in the uh, in the comic book. So Stanley Ipkiss in the movie, uh, he's he's defined as being you know a hopeless romantic and you know trapped in his own you know uh, you know cowardice or something. And and within he's you know he wants to be you know this love crazed uh, unstoppable hero. And that's what the mask you know enhances in his character in his movie character. Uh, in the comic book, Stanley Ipkiss uh, becomes. Uh, obsessed with power he creates a hit list and goes after everybody who's ever wronged him um which they adapt into into the movie uh fairly well uh in some manners so the 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 garage guys the mechanics who are uh ripping him off were adapted pretty well uh and in in the in the movie when again
again, I, I, I find it hard to believe that this was rated G, but you know, in the movie when they cut to the uh, the the garage, which is what connects which is what connects uh, Stanley Ipkiss to the mask in the first place because his car is at the garage, um, they they wheel out the uh, the mechanic and he has a muffler uh, like sticking up out of his ass and the police chief guy is like I need the best proctologist you've got and uh, you know you watch that scene you just think like that a group of you know individuals had to sit down and watch this and review it and make a decision that yeah that seems appropriate for you know general audiences that's totally fine for kids to watch that that gentleman was assaulted and has a muffler sticking out of his ass yeah slap a g rating on it send it to theaters advertise it as a comedy for the whole family it's just the, the weird the weird thought it's a weird thing to think after watching um a movie like the mask and i mean you know you stand out and i'm going i'm going back on this tangent again so let's let's push forward so uh the garage scene uh it you know it, it that's what brings in the police and they're you know they're alerted to this you know spree of crimes that happen uh, after after Jim Carrey, after Stanley finds the mask, and uh, so it introduces Lieutenant Calloway uh, in the movie. That's play. He's played by uh, Peter Rigert. 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 I'm not I'm not good with last names. I apologize to uh, to this gentleman. Uh, so Lieutenant Calloway uh, in the movie. So in the comic book. Uh, so another slight change. If we're doing a compare and contrast in the comic book, Stanley lives in the same apartment as Lieutenant Calloway's mother. She's uh, his landlady, who's replaced uh, by uh, Mrs. Peeman, played by Nancy Fish. Um, so yeah. So that's a slight change uh, in the comic book. That's why. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Calloway picks up the the crimes because they're called to the apartment after the first incident when he you know smashes up the place and they they're they're called there for the first time so in the movie it's the garage that uh is what you know initiates the the whole crime spree uh, or well the cops you know that's where that's where we pick up from the cops perspective and in the comic book actually too so it's interesting that uh, the mask would actually fall into Callaway's hands at some point but i'll i'll get to that uh, at the end of the movie comparison so uh in the movie the after the garage um they start investigating and Ipkiss, Stanley Ipkiss's car is at the garage, which is where, um, you know, the news, the news lady, it gets involved. Um, Peggy, uh, she gets involved and they, they track down Stanley Ipkiss and they have to interview him. And then, um, you know, they, the, the robbery happens at the, uh, the, the bank shortly thereafter. And the movie, um, I mean, so none of that actually happens in the comic book if we're doing a compare and contrast. So, I mean, it was adapted, right? It's a loose adapt adaptation. Um, the bank uh, doesn't exist. I, I believe Stanley works at the bank, but it uh, it's not it's not like the biggest uh, plot point. He's just like happens to be an accountant. And, uh, you know, his friend Charlie, That's he's not a character in the movie. They they change some of the, the police pre people. Um, there's no Doyle. It's uh, Lionel instead of Doyle. It's Lionel. 
Um, and there was a few changes like that, but they did do a lot of good, uh, the mask scenes. So from the first uh, comic books, uh, probably one of the, the scenes that everybody remembers, or if you've seen the movie, one of the really great scenes is uh, when he does the balloon animal work. And uh, you know, at one point he, pu- he goes to pull out the balloon and it's a condom. Uh, then you know he, he does the the giraffe and then he does the poodle and then he, he's like now for my favorite and he changes it and it's it's like my tommy gun uh that was that was very well done that was seen uh, that was a panel by panel uh translation adaptation into the movie which i think was you know phenomenally done but as i said interestingly enough in the movie it's jim carrey that does all that stuff but in the comic book it's actually uh lieutenant calloway uh, so it would have been uh peter Wright character that does that uh you know makes the tommy gun uh so it's interesting how they they take elements from the story because you know they were telling stanley they wanted to tell the story of stanley ipkiss the original first character to put on the mask uh but then they take elements from later on other characters that would wear the mask so it would be like you know you have different iterations of spider-man or batman kind of the same thing uh but then to take from the comic book and blend it into like one character did all of those things uh that's kind of what they did here um and that was uh so like again you know they added in dorian's character uh from where i am in the comic book so uh so you, uh, take everything uh face value too i mean i want I have to be honest i haven't finished the comic books there is a lot of content on the comic book so the original series runs from 1991 to 1995 like i said earlier uh but since then it's been exa- it's been expanded into uh other series um i mentioned there was there's a crossover with dc and marvel uh, on the marvel side it was a lobo it was uh, lobo versus uh the mask uh, and to be honest i'm not familiar with lobo i don't know that one uh so i did pick up the a different a digital version of the dc crossover with dark horse they did joker mask and the premise for that one is really interesting it's uh the the joker is robbing a museum and the mask happens to be there and then him and excuse me him and big head happen to uh like attack uh well they they team up he happens to find the mask and they team up against batman and so from from what i know uh dorian and tina they don't exist uh in the original comic books though uh interestingly enough so uh i find this very like coming back around full circle the comic book is adapted into a screenplay which is made into the movie and then the screenplay was given back to the comic book developers and then they developed it into a comic book that follows the script from the movie and they would actually use the likenesses of uh jim carrey and uh cameron diaz and all of these other actors to draw the (laughs) the comic book characters this time uh for this iteration and it's just called the mask uh like the movie adaptation and uh that that's an interesting comic book too they 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 add you know a few more spins and they can do a bit more with the mask and you know his all of his mannerisms and stuff which is uh which is interesting i just find that you know it comes full circle so it starts as a comic book and it's adapted and then it's adapted back into a comic book which is funny um you know it goes full circle and and they can you know they sell more they sell more entertainment to us and uh we buy it up and it's it's always uh it's always good fun um so the movie continues after um how far did we get we got to 
the the part where the, they're at the mechanics and the police are involved, and then you know uh, they so you know what that brings me to uh, the crack police work that they wrote into the movie. Uh, Calloway's police work. He he identifies Ipkiss as a person of interest because his car was at the mechanics, and then the uh, the bank where he works is robbed. And he finds, uh, so then the third one was he finds a piece of his pajamas at the Coco Bongo Club after the shootout with uh, Dorian's gang members. And so his, I mean, he is tied to all three, sure. Uh, he didn't really put much effort into the fact that technically uh, Tina would be connected to two out of three locations. And, you know, there was other people there too. But the second one, you know, he, he, he tells him that he's going to find uh, their his fingerprints at the bank. And that would, you know, that would prove to everybody that Ipkiss was the guy. Um, so his big crack in the case was that they were going to find Stanley Ipkiss's fingerprints where he worked, and that was going to solve the case. Like, oh, his fingerprints were found at his place of employment. Shocking revelation. Oh, and the other one was that uh, that nobody else would be stupid enough to buy pajamas like he had because he had that piece of his pajamas, and he's like, nobody else is going to buy pajamas this stupid. So like, those were your two. Those that was your two like concrete evidence of police work. That one, you are absolutely certain that nobody else in the world bought those pajamas, and two, his fingerprints were found at the place that he works. I don't see like that it's just terrible police work but you know it's a movie and it has to you know progress the plot along but you know they lose they lose a little bit there they could have you know they could have had something else the you know deep blood spit something you know he was he was getting shot at and and you know if he could leave a piece of his clothing behind he could leave something else that's more than you know that's <laughs> more than just you know a piece of his pajamas that this this one you know police officer lieutenant calloway you know uh, that he he's convinced that you know nobody else could have bought and i just find that i found that f uh, freaking hilarious uh, in the context of of what they had written for the screenplay so that so before before that moves on i mean let's talk about for a second that whole uh scene that goes down after uh the bank robbery and you know the mask beats uh you know dorian's crew to you know robbing the bank that's the whole reason that tina's you know character is there she has the purse with the camera in it and she was just you know recording uh the safe and they were planning to do you know a heist because dorian uh you know he he, he wants to take over uh the city and this crime uh this crime syndicate that employs just a henchmen with terrible hairstyles i mean it's in the 90s and i guess they're on a, a tight budget so you just had like long and straggly and then varying degrees of baldness and ponytail i i don't know i don't understand what was going on here there was you had slick back hair with a ponytail and then you had balding you know like the horseshoe balding with a ponytail and then the worst one was completely shaved head with a ponytail which which just really emphasizes the tail part of this like you it looked like it was just like right on the back of his head and he had this long braided 
ponytail, which was just like all the henchmen. You know, the only the only person that had regular hair was was Dorian's character, which I find weird. I don't, I don't know why the henchmen had these well, ponytails. It was, it was very strange. Um, and <laughs> it's just that it was a random tangent. So, so uh, the mask, you know, he beats him to this. The, you know, he wants to have all this money. Uh, and so he, he robs the bank, the place where he worked, where Stanley Ipkiss works. And then he goes to the Coco Bongo Club. And there's the dance sequence with Cameron Diaz. And uh, her singing is actually uh, dubbed by Susan Boyd. Uh, that was the voice of Susan Boyd. And so they they have that whole dance scene where they do amazing uh, for, you know, it's 1994 and there's amazing VFX. And it's, you know, one of the, one of the interesting trivia facts is that um, uh, Jim Carrey's face and, you know, sorry, Jim Carrey's face. That's one of the trivia facts is that Jim Carrey's face. Uh, no, is that uh, the uh, exaggerated uh, faces that he's able to do and the way he was able to move his body uh, on camera actually allowed them to reduce how many special effects needed to be done because he was able to make these exaggerated cartoonish um, faces which I mean you know you, if you've seen a Jim Carrey movie you've seen him do these faces before uh, so that's interesting they were able to you know his face is so animated and he's able to do um, these these facial uh, you know comedic <laughs> comedy you know comedic gestures with his uh face muscles face uh facial musculature if we want to be uh super specific <laughs> so that was interesting you know they were able to like actually save money because he's so talented and has such a degree of control over uh, all those you know muscles in his face and so the, you know that that scene you know they his head turns into a dog and you know his heart's pumping out of his chest that was all done by ilm industrial light and magic they're the uh vfx company that did all the layering for uh the mask and they took all of the scenes and you know they have the the green mask is a real prosthetic uh that uh, you know took about four hours to do in uh, in the makeup trailer and then they would add uh you know, special effects, you know, the eyes popping out of his head and his tongue popping out in the, the first sequence with the landlady, uh, you know, him turning into like a bowling pin and popping out all around the room and stuff. Uh, all of this was very well done and very cutting edge uh, for 1994. And it holds up really well. I've watched the movie a few times this week. I've watched the movie today. To, you know, I'll be honest, I have it playing over on my side here. And, you know, it, it's uh, good for pacing. It helps you follow along. And the VFX really hold up there really well done and you know i can't you know the movie came out in 1994 it's almost uh almost 30 years from now uh 30 years ago it's uh 2024 and less than a year and four weeks it's crazy and the movie really holds up there it's really good uh you know, really good blend of practical and, and VFX. So uh, that whole that whole scene is is probably probably that scene is probably. And well, let's just let's pass that one. It's uh, probably uh, one of the best portions of the movie. There's so much going on, so many costume changes, so many references, and uh, you know, it leads to the the first uh, confrontation between Dorian and his varying degrees of baldness and ponytailed <laughs> bad guys. And there's so many things that I love about that scene. One of the best ones is towards the end uh, when he's, you know, coughing and, you know, he's been shot and he's being held in the arms by the balded 
ponytailed gentleman and you know they seem to be like truly affected by his death they're like they're crying and there's tears in their eyes and to me that's the, like the effect the magic of the mask is pulling them into like his like little reality or whatever he's enacting and and that's even you know uh in in intensive not intensified enforced i guess um not enforced reinforced uh, whatever the word would be uh by the fact that when uh the little fake audience pops up on screen and they hand him the award uh if you look at like dorian on the side he starts like fixing his hair and like you know like pulling you know pulling on his shirt and stuff and r wiping his brow as if he's like you know all of a sudden he's nervous to be in front of this audience and then and then they kind of like shake it off and they're like they're just like pointing their guns and like well what is this who is this guy who is this clown and and uh that was just you know it's an attention to detail that i found you know is, is really interesting when you when you watch this movie multiple times over again you start to notice these little things that they add in or that they include or you know the director uh you know chuck russell that he saw and you know he has the vision for that that minute detail that adds this you know it layers on and it's uh it's really it's it's amazing it's a testament to a really good film uh you know i mean it got great reviews too so that we'll get to that in a second um so we push on in the movie now from this point in the film that it, it's not based on the source material at all at this point in this in the screenplay they do reference some of the costumes and the things that the mask does uh, come from the source material but at this point the rest of you know the aftermath of the aftermath of the robbery uh is purely it just for the screenplay uh you know stanley is betrayed uh by the newspaper reporter peggy that was played by amy yesbeck and you know she turns him over to the mob because you know uh, as i think she said it that uh, ask amy pays dick and you know she was just looking for a quick paycheck which she you know she feels bad about uh when they they are gonna you know like intending to hurt him and she's all like oh i thought you weren't gonna hurt him and then uh funnily enough uh a little side tangent here again uh we're we're a big fan of tangents here at the nerd review um in the animated series in the very first episode of the animated series that would follow in 1995 um, the animated series follows the story of Stanley Ipkiss from the end of the movie and if we can jump forward a bit uh, his pal that you know she was one of the only people that knows about the mask and that Stanley still has it uh, is Peggy and she very quickly in the very like first few minutes of the episode the very first episode of the series she brushes off and she's like well you know I'm sorry about that whole time that I sold you out to the mob and you know like well we can get over it it was a one time thing and I, I apologize <laughs> it was just like she brushes it off like it's no big deal that she you know betrayed him and set him up and basically like was basically going to leave him to leave him for dead basically uh you know that's just no big deal <laughs> in the comic uh, in the, the animated series uh they made they they made very light of it and again, and again that comes back to um you know what i was saying before like they made an animated series out of this that was just in like entirely for children again it's watered down but it's very funny that you know you start with the source material which is the mask from dark horse comics and it's known for violence and dark humor and you know a lot of the times they're shooting at uh big head and like he has a giant gaping hole in the middle of his chest and he turns around and he shoots back at the the 
the bad guy. I mean, a lot of them are gangbangers and, you know, bad guys on the streets and stuff, but sometimes they're just bystanders or um, in the case of, you know, Stanley Ipkiss' character uh, in the comic book, he created like a hit list of like teachers who wronged him, people that owed him like 40 bucks and he, you know, like drove over them, you know, in, with their with his car or something and like just like like sought out vengeance when he wore the mask. Um, in, in, you know, in Lieutenant Calloway's uh, case, he would like, he became like one of like a, like a, like he was just going out for vengeance. He was going after drug dealers and criminals and anybody that he couldn't, you know, uh, catch or take off the streets uh, through his job as being a cop. At night, he would put on the mask and it, it kind of, you know, doubled down and, and uh, kind of demonstrated more about, you know, how it affected the mind. And in the first few issues, uh, it was Kathy. Uh, you know, that's the, as I mentioned, that was Stanley Ipkiss' girlfriend in the comic book, not Tina, uh, the character that Cameron Diaz plays. It was Kathy that kind of explains to uh, the lieutenant that, like, it changed her boyfriend. Like, he was always nice and, and very caring. And then when he got the mask, he became very vengeful and focused on, like, you know, it, cha- it just changed a lot of the way he was. And he was so focused on, like, retribution and getting back at people. And uh, the lieutenant starts slowly, you know, going into, you know, it, more into psychosis or insanity. Uh, he loses part of himself into the violence and, you know, constantly being shot at and having to regenerate himself. This is, uh, this is what I think, you know, having to heal himself over and over again and having the big head persona in his mind. Uh, at one point, you know, the cops are trying to stop him. He's, you know, murdering people and blowing things up all over the town. Uh, Edge City as the the fictional city that the mask takes place in both the movie and the comic book are based in edge city and it's uh it's when lieutenant calloway actually turns on his partner in the comic book his partner is doyle uh sorry no sorry i'm getting all my names confused in the comic book his partner is lionel in the movie his partner is doyle um in and the fumbling doyle in the movie in the comic book he's not a fumbling detective he's just a he's just you know a partner to calloway and the you know calloway Calloway almost uh, almost kills him while wearing the mask. Uh, you know, he's like he's getting in my way. And they had a really really cool style of writing for the mask. Like when you're wearing the mask, your your bubble, like your word bubble, is all jagged lines, and you have huge letters and stuff. And then when you're a normal person, it's like a normal word bubble. So they did this really really cool style of like the mask is yelling, and he's gonna kill uh, his partner, and then all of a sudden. It's like a normal word bubble, and you can you you get you inference that you can understand that now it's Calloway, and he's like, wait, what am I doing? Like he's he's a good guy, he's a good cop. I can't do this. And then the mask is like, no, he's just he's just always in our way. We have to kill him. And then uh, that's what you know finally re- makes Calloway realize that he can't he can't wear the mask, and he buries it in cement. And that was the end of like what part of the original run. And then there's the final one, the mask returns, uh, which I believe came out in 1995, and that is like I was saying to be honest that is where I am I haven't actually read all the way through on the mask returns and then I have like the joker uh, the mask joker and stuff and there's there's a lot of content there and then in 2020 they brought it back with a new series that I haven't read at all there's so there's some good content there and I do plan on reading all of that great content but uh, it's it takes a very long time to get through all of that reading so uh, let's focus on uh, the rest of this synopsis here so the movie uh, movie along pretty quickly and uh like i said it doesn't really follow the uh 
the the source material at this point anymore. Um, just kind of like the mannerisms of the mask and you know his his costumes and some of the thing he does. Like like I said, the thing with the Tommy gun and you know some of his dance moves and you know how he pulls out all the guns and stuff like that. So uh, in the movie, he you know he you know uh, falls in love with. Tina Cameron Diaz's character and they have to you know defeat Dorian and that leads to the first it leads to the Cuban Pete standoff with the police the whole maracas and dance sequence and he has all the cops dancing and stuff and as a as a compare and contrast I will um I will let you know that in the comic in in the movie he has all the police officers dancing in the street um this is very similar to the comic book except when he jumps up on the car instead of moving his arms and having them all dance he pulls out automatic weapons and a flamethrower and just starts killing people and this is one of the the big distinctions between the the comic book and the like the movie that they they developed and uh, to me it it means that like i'm i'm hoping and looking forward to when they decide to make the the darker uh, more comic book accurate adaptation and they just like they just go balls to the wall and let let the mask start killing people which we all know that everybody likes an R-rated movie with your your favorite anti-hero, and that's pretty much where the mask uh, falls in line. Somebody actually, um, when I was talking to them, one of my colleagues at work, when I was talking to them about uh, the mask and this upcoming episode, they made a reference. They said that uh, the mask is kind of like uh, Venom, you know, kind of like a symbiote. Uh, and I didn't actually make that connection. And I was like, it's it's kind of true, you know, the way that uh, you know, especially the way that he's you know Venom is being portrayed now, that he's like an entity that lives with you and you know kind of takes a toll on the the host very much the same way that the mask works in the comic book and they kind of allude to that a little bit uh in the movie and i'm not sure honestly i'm not sure if they allude to that in the animated series i have only uh gotten around to re-watching the very first episode uh which is you know is a funny nostalgic uh thing to watch but it's hard to sit down and watch all two or two seasons or 50 something episodes of an animated kid series from the 90s you know the nostalgic factor has to be cranked up to uh, 110 or it has to be one of the uh one of the actual decent ones that was you know done in a way that wasn't just pandering to children and had like nonsensical storylines so you're like your transformers or um your 2003 tmnt uh series that had like actual stories that you could follow and you know they're both fun for kids and you know an adult or a teenager or anybody who was interested could could arguably follow the show and enjoy it and not just want to blow their brains out after half an hour uh, so, um so the movie wraps up and you know it was you know the movie wraps up at, with the big final showdown dorian gets the mask and i love the scene where dorian gets the mask when he puts it on and there's the big dark cloud that you know uh, uh, like 
rises above his head as soon as he catches the mask you see this dark storm cloud with like purple lightning and it, it swirls around him and engulfs him and he puts the mask on and he's this hulking roided thick neck veins version of Dorian and with the explanation that was provided in the movie and with you know understanding that it enhances the, the your you know your deepest desires um you know this makes sense all he wants you know all dorian wants is power and you know he's corrupted he's an evil person he's a bad person and this you know this dark cloud engulfs him and circles him and he has like a snake tongue and uh they give him the red eyes which is in the comic book um i mentioned when lieutenant calloway almost goes off the deep end uh when the mask when big head uh gets like pushed to you know to the brink his eyes would actually go red uh that's something that doesn't happen with stanley ipkiss but they do a good job representing that in dorian's version when he's wearing the mask and that entire ending part is amazing Uh, i want to give a shout out to milo the dog that played milo Uh, that is some great dog acting he did a great job throughout the entire movie uh you know he's doing head tilts and you know he's grabbing you know he's grabbing the cheese off that uh that policeman's desk when he's trying to help stanley escape from jail so that he can go and help uh you know tina and stop dorian and all of that and uh so it was just you know that dog did some amazing dog acting and uh may he rest in peace because if this movie is coming up on 30 years old uh, you know it's kind of just an unfortunate fact that that dog is no longer with us but uh he did you know he did amazing an amazing job on the mask and uh you know that was a great dog acting to go with such amazing actors you know the dog really stood up against uh jim carrey and cameron diaz and uh you know dorian he's played by peter green they're uh some amazing actors and it's you know they did such an amazing job especially in 1994 and at the time when special effects and you know this type of acting against nothing or the idea that you know they're just telling you what it's going to look like afterward once they've layered it once they've put the you know once industrial light and magic has had uh their moment uh, and done their you know and done their magic uh you know what it's going to look like and and you know like what from what i've heard time and time again uh while you know doing all my research and watching these interviews from various actors uh, especially at the time when this was so new that the hardest thing they had done up until this point was trying to act with you know the idea of there's nothing there you know one of the biggest parts of acting is reacting and this is acting and reacting to to nothing uh, at times you know there's just a prop or you know something as a representation and the director or the special effects artist are just telling you like you know there's going to be a monster here so be scared or you have to look here at a certain time and you have to try to track you know from one place to the other where this cgi vfx character is going to be added in and um you know especially on the the side of uh jim carrey and all these you know even even cameron diaz having you know having no experience before this she was uh doing uh, modeling before this this is her first uh acting credit and jim carrey before this did ace ventura so um 
you know they they don't have this you know they haven't been doing you know sci-fi fantasy movies of uh, you know that are so popular these days and this uh you know layering effect and adding cgi to a movie is so new and to have no experience to fall back on and to give such amazing performances to is really remarkable and it's something to commend and it really lends itself to a movie that has you know become a classic and that people still watch almost 30 years later and the vfx and the acting and everything holds up so well and that's that's just something that you know goes a long way to say that these you know these young actors were were obviously so talented if you look back clearly you know at the time they were new uh you know jim carrey has ace ventura he's doing the mask then he goes on to dumb and dumber and he goes right on to uh, batman to do the riddler right after that and just like explodes onto the scene and same for cameron diaz so like like i said at the top of the episode this movie was just breaming with uh with potential and and talent it was uh, it's remarkable how much talent was on uh was, was involved in one movie and that extends to to Milo as well, the dog. Uh, that was uh, my little. You know, you gotta gotta represent and give credit to all those uh, Hollywood acting dogs and cats and all the birds and and, and animals that are trained. And uh, hopefully they, you know, like we hope they have really good lives. And uh, I hope that Milo went, you know, to the the doggy heaven uh, with a belly full of you know dog treats and bacon and, and just had a had a really good life after you know that amazing. Per- performance that he gave during the mask and so i'll get i'll wrap up on this tangent um so the uh the movie had uh, a budget of 18 million dollars and was a smashing box office success making 351 million dollars and i'll i'll give you a little bit of perspective the son of the mask which would be made in 2000 uh, 2005 had a much bigger much more inflated budget of 84 million dollars and was a huge box office flop and only made 59 million dollars so they lost like 20 something to a good like 25 million dollars on the sequel unfortunately uh which um you know i've i haven't i actually i'll be honest i haven't seen son of the mask yet i've watched a few reviews and i've read about it and i mean you know the mask the first mask from 1994 it has an 80 percent uh review on rotten tomatoes it's certified fresh and son of the mask has a six percent review so i mean i'm just going off of popular consensus when i say it is not a good movie but i i you know that you know that's my that's that's other people's opinions i'll be honest that is other people's opinions going from popular consensus so i will uh sit down and watch the movie i know that my girlfriend actually really does uh enjoy the son of the mask she's not uh she's not shy about the fact that it's probably not a good movie but she does enjoy the movie so she recommends that i still sit down and watch it and that we'll have a good uh we'll have a good time watching that movie and I've mentioned it a few times in various other episodes of the podcast, and I'll mention it again, just because the review or the consensus of a movie is super low, 6%, doesn't mean that uh, it's it's an unwatchable or that you shouldn't watch the movie. It just means that a lot of people uh, didn't like it, or maybe they were comparing it uh, to the original, and you know they didn't like the new actor, or there was something about it that didn't mesh well, or it, it, it affected the memory that they had of the original, and that's valid. 
solid. That's their opinion. Um, but, you know, if you're not watching uh, a few bad movies throughout the year, then how are you properly judging the good ones? That's how I always that's how I always frame it. The bad, you know, you watch if some bad movies and that, you know, that puts it into a perspective that like, well, this movie is really good compared to this really bad movie that I watched. And as I've said in, in various episodes, uh, various, you know, monologues and, and tangents about uh, favorites and opinions that it's all it's also personal so like um i i will sit down and i think it's important to sit down and watch a movie before um you jump on a bandwagon of it's a bad movie oh you know like everybody else said it has a six percent rating right so it's obviously a bad movie um I don't think that's fair. I don't think that it gives yourself enough credit. It doesn't give the movie enough credit. Um, if we take a step back from reviews and and you know critics and all these people who are paid to criticize something, that uh, you know people still sat down to make that movie. Um, I think that could that should be taken into consideration. That the writers sat down and they wrote something, and the producers you know they worked on it. The director. Uh, you know, he put in effort and time and they all came together in an effort to create something that would entertain and be enjoyable. And just because it's not considered, um, what's the, you know, not just because it's not considered like a, you know, a great piece of art cinema that it influential, that it made, that it didn't make a lot of money, that it lost 25 million dollars doesn't mean that it doesn't have a heart at its core that people didn't put in effort towards creating something and i think that anything that's been created uh deserves enough time that deserves time to to actually properly um observe it and and actually judge for yourself whether or not you like the movie and i mean it could be a handful of laughs jokes um it could be the costume design the props the score the music uh anything of the myriad of elements that goes into creating a movie the the special effects the directing the cinematography the photos uh the photography uh, the photography the photography the setting, the uh, world building, the expansion of the world, of the mask, uh, any of these elements can be appreciated on their own or as a whole, and that could lend itself towards um, maybe you review the movie a bit higher. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost in the void. Uh, you know, you're influenced by other people. You know, everybody didn't like this movie, so I'm, just, you know, I'm not going to like this movie either. And, and if you don't give it a chance, you're selling it short, you're selling it yourself, short and i think that uh it's about individualism too at some point you have to really watch the movie and give it a fair shake in that sense and i think everybody should do that um i think if you just jump on a bandwagon um you're just not being fair to be honest at the end of the day it's really just it's not you're not fair to yourself and you're not fair to the art that's being created and in in the case of movies it is a form of art um there's it's it's one of the best forms of art that we create and it deserves enough it deserves to be at least you know uh, absorbed and you know take it in give it give it some time give it the time of day you know and then 
come to your own opinion come to your own conclusion and if you really didn't like the movie then rate it honestly because at the end of the day you're just lying to yourself you know and and that'll be that'll be the end of this random tidbit of monologue so just you know respect your yourself enough to develop your own opinions and and then respect other people who have also come to potentially a different opinion and if you do that i think that that you know we can have good debates and conversations about what we like and what we dislike and still respect each other and not have arguments all the time and just yell at each other that my movie is better than your movie and if you don't like this movie then you have bad tastes or you're a bad human being or something ridiculous of that nature which which happens often too much these days and especially when it comes to uh people's opinions about movies and such such amazing entertainment and you know just because it's not what you wanted or what you expected doesn't mean that you should just shit all over it all day so let's just let's just digress and jump back into the movie because this episode has had way too many tangents the goofs that i actually witnessed in the movie that i actually saw not one of the ones that i read from the imdb page because there's a whole page of you know goofs things that they messed up on uh in the movie and there's the whole trivia page but one of the the goofs that i actually noticed myself uh was after uh stanley is given to the cops uh you know after dorian captures him and decides that you know they won't they'll never think of you know that dorian has the mask now if they think that you know stanley ipkiss has been caught so they give him this like you know crappy little rubber mask and they drop him off at the police headquarters and uh he's locked up and so tina comes to see him and you know she warns him that like you know dorian's planning something terrible tonight at the coco bongo and you know she's just gonna get out of town because you know he's gone crazy and so she leaves and you know she's confronted by you know the henchmen of varying baldness and ponytails um so and so she does a pretty good job of defending herself the guy you know like walks up in front of her and she realizes she's being boxed in and she she delivers a pretty good you know right hook to the guy's face and she he she she he she punches him pretty hard in the face and she scratches him big old scratch right across the face and a little bit of blood on his cheek and the chase pursues right the chase pursues uh the chase ensues she's running you know screaming through the alleyway and so at the end of the the chase right she's cut off by dorian and the guy the ponytail henchman um sorry it's not the ponytail henchman it's the long hair straggly henchman that she punched in the face uh he comes back out and cuts her off but he has no no blood there's no scratch on his cheek and i noticed that i was like hey where'd the where'd the scratch go he he healed in the 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 two minutes chase that occurred the scratch on this guy's face healed uh i found that i thought that was pretty funny um something else that i i took note of uh something that i take note of in movies um is how long uh how much screen time passes once a timer is activated so you know they click the self-destruct button and the timer goes off and they're like t minus 10 minutes and i'm always super curious if 
if like 10 minutes passes because I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z and I will, you know, I loved, I love Dragon Ball Z. I watched the original version. So not the, not the, the, the shortened version where they took out all the filler. I watched all those filler episodes and, you know, he would say, I need five minutes and that five minutes would span six or seven episodes and it would be like four hours later and it wouldn't be like oh well he still needs more time i'm just i'm always curious at how accurate they are and so in this movie i did i went a little little hardcore here so the bomb countdown dorian is like this party ends in 10 minutes because he got he has the mask on big lizard tongue the red eyes the whole shebang and if you look at the time code it's one hour 24 minutes 22 seconds and the bomb the bomb is armed and so the rest of the scene unfolds and you know she you know cameron diaz tina convinces him to take off the mask she wants one last kiss and she gets her foot loose and she kicks the mask across the room and then there's the whole milo with the mask portion because he finally puts his puts the mask on and uh one of the things i noticed about milo he's got some huge danglers i didn't notice that uh good for good for milo um he, he's probably uh he probably has a long lineage of acting dogs uh, maybe it was one of his um maybe it was one of his children that starred in son of the mask that would be interesting i'm gonna have to look that up i'll uh, i'll make a tweet about that later on so uh the whole milo thing happens he you know he manages to take out a few of the the henchmen the long straggly haired henchmen the bald one with the just the freaking tail on the back of his head uh he t- milo takes out both of those the um stanley gets the mask back and he gets shot at he he f- manages to you know take them all out he pulls out all the big the big guns and he has the whole well you gotta ask yourself are you feeling lucky and they all run away so he runs over tina's like stanley the bomb and they go over and there's only like 10 seconds left something like that and he picks up the bomb and he swallows it and the bomb explodes his stomach goes out and the bomb explodes and the time code is one hour 30 minutes 15 seconds less than 10 minutes they get an a plus on their timer um, all that happened and it was you know arguably as plausible they had less than 10 minutes listen there was like five minutes or something of screen time uh less than even six minutes of screen time from when he clicks the bomb and when it actually explodes in his stomach so i give them an a plus you know there's movies i've like i said dragon ball z i've watched other movies where you know it's t minus 10 minutes and they're fighting and they're running and they're punching each other and they're having exposition and they're you know, like you gotta go we're gonna die here and it's like this is not the time to have that conversation you and you you clicked a timer that had 10 minutes and it's been like 14 minutes already like this place is gonna blow up and so i i've just i've always been uh, i've always been very uh, curious about how well the if, you know is it even on the director's mind that you know he's he's put a timer on and like are people aware of that i feel like there's been movies and there are i can't i didn't do um i'll have to pause or do some research about movies that have done you know exactly the amount of time that their timer has given them and that the director you know actually actively followed that timeline that would be um that'd be interesting i'll have to look that up uh so let, let me look that up just a second 
And as it turns out, that statistic is not highly tracked. I did not find very much uh, while Googling, though I suspect it would probably be a movie like Inception or something filmed by Christopher Nolan because, uh, you know, they have, you know, he's one of the directors that has an eye for that kind of thing. He's looking at the details of his movies. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case in, in, uh, in you know, having a movie that has a countdown that is accurate to the screen time uh it's probably like a stanley kubrick uh kubrick uh or something like that you know uh it would be in like space odyssey or the shining or you know like i said inception or the dark knight i think i saw online yeah i saw online somewhere somebody said uh the dark knight uh some of the countdowns in that uh had very you know they were very timed out very accurate um so that's interesting and you know just, it just that was something that i like i said something that i take note of uh maybe you'll take note in the next time you watch a movie that has a countdown uh just jot it down see if the uh the timer on that screen actually plays out to the screen time of the movie and uh it's kind of it's you know it's just something to think about you laugh at like oh they they portray these scenes and it's so cutting uh you know it's so it's so you know they have such little amounts of time and they're supposed to make all these decisions but uh they're they're portraying it where it's like it has like 20 30 minutes and that timer still just beeping by steadily it's just something that i think about one of those random little thoughts of as on the nerd head uh so let's get back to the mask uh we're coming to the end of this episode um so the movie wraps up uh it's it's quite uh it's quite a good wrap up there's so much going on in that final scene between you know dorian wearing the mask he gets the mask kicked out of his hand then all of a sudden milo's wearing the mask he's you know biting people peeing he pees on one of the the henchmen uh you know he bites the other guy by the butt you know rips off his trousers uh you know uh Stanley gets the mask back. He, you know, saves everybody and, you know, everything happened in public. So he's exonerated. It's even the mayor shows up and, uh, you know, he, he vouches for, you know, Ipkiss. He's like, no, I saw uh, Dorian Tyrell put on that mask. This man just saved us all. And uh, so he's exonerated and, you know, he throws the mask into the, the, uh, the ocean or basically off the same bridge at the edge of at the edge of edge city let's that's funny and you know he uh, you know you see his friend charlie jump into the river and milo goes and grabs it before him and he's standing on the 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 walkway with tina and they share their kiss and uh you know he goes smoking the way he does the way that he did when he had the mask and what's funny is that the the stories is continued as i mentioned in the animated series and the animated series picks up it is the story of Stan the Ipkiss, but the 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 Jim Carrey portrayal. So it's that story, the story from the movie that is continued into the animated series. And in the animated series, we do get to find out that I guess Milo kept the mask, he brought it back, and now uh, Stanley has it. And you know, in the first scene, he's like trying to keep himself from using it, and he's like, "No, only use the mask to do good." And then he hears like again somebody's robbing the bank that he works at, and he's like, "Oh, gotta go save." 
save the day and he puts the mask on and there's music and he has the same in in the animated series he has the same yellow suit and it's the same visuals that we got in the movie not the stuff that was from the comic book um so like i said it would be really cool uh in you know we're in 2022 now it's been so long since we've had any sort of adaptation from the mask and there was a more recent adaptation a more recent comic book run uh that i think believe started in 2020 uh 2020 2021 uh, i have to double check that one and it had you know it's uh, from what i've seen it has really good reviews that most recent uh comic book run so it'd be cool to see you know netflix or one of the streaming uh entities that are around right now uh pick up the mask and return to this franchise and see uh what we got uh maybe maybe jim carrey would come back um you know supposedly he's retiring from acting after sonic 2 which would uh you know if he if he is retiring then you know i wish him well he's been an amazing actor all, all my life he's been some of the best uh he's done some of the best roles that i've seen growing up and if he's not if he's still gonna come back then maybe he'll do a a sequel to the mask or have a cameo in some future entity that is the mask um you know i'm gonna re- it's just like what i said in the small soldiers episode if somebody's listening let's let's go back to the mask let's make that happen let's do a mask uh sequel series but let's do it uh let's pump up the rating let's go you know rated r uh, there's no fcc on the streaming platforms you know we can we don't have to pander to children or water it down the source material is dark it's funny it's amazing it's what inspired so many people to do the movies in the first place so i mean there's something there that people liked so let's go back to that and let's hope for the future that we get some more mass content that is what i would love to see and um, i hope people love to see more episodes of the nerd review so that's where i'm going to wrap it up uh let's uh like i said let's hope for new content of the mask and i hope you enjoy this episode i hope you hope for new episodes of the nerd review and i hope you come back next week and the week after that because i'm going to be here making more episodes so until then this has been the nerd this has been the nerd review of the mask and this is the nerd signing off